Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us again. We're going to talk about cameras and photography, but first, I want to congratulate Russ G., who was the winner of our first giveaway. He wins a copy of Chris Marquardt's book about wide-angle photography. Chris was on the show a few weeks ago, and congratulations, Russ. Russ was selected because he has signed up for our mailing list. Now, if you sign up for our mailing list, you'll have chances for other giveaways. We'll be able to give away apps and books and maybe some photo gear as we go on and we get a little bit bigger. Jeff, you signed up for the mailing list, right? I was the first to sign up because I set up the mailing list. <laughs> well, you're not allowed to win. Neither am I. No. <laughs> we like to say that this is not a show about gear. And every time we say that, we end up talking about gear. But Let's talk about gear. Let's talk about gear. But the point in it not being a show about gear is not that we don't talk about gear, but that we don't talk about specific gear. It's like in the past few weeks, if you follow the photography news, Nikon and Canon and Fujifilm have come out with new cameras. But do we care about that? We sort of care about that in the sense that it's good to know what's what's out there. And I will admit, I have spent far too much time looking at specs and impressions of the new Fuji X-T3, which will probably be my next camera. Okay, stop, stop, stop. We're not going to get into the rabbit hole about the new camera. <laughs> but... It's important to know what's out there, but more importantly for what we're talking about here is not so much whether this camera has this spec or or that camera has this feature. It's, you know, what can you own that will make photos better for you? And that can be choosing a different type of camera. But more specifically, we want to talk about lenses and not necessarily like the, the deep down specs of a lens. No, we're not going to talk about a lens has this many elements and this many groups. And I don't even know what that means. Uh, that's great. You know, my car has a bunch of wheelie things and belts and there's some fluid in there. I'm pretty sure I've seen it sometimes. And it's got a lot of electronics, too. A lot of electronics these days. Yeah. But... Especially going back to that episode with Chris Marquard when we were talking about wide-angle lenses, just the type of lens that you use makes a big difference in what you're going to shoot and whether that's something that you are, are preparing. You know, you're going to go out and shoot a landscape sunrise. You know that you probably want a, a wide-angle lens, but maybe if you're going to go shoot uh, wildlife or sports, then you need something else. Indeed. And today, one of the main things we wanted to discuss is the difference between zoom lens lenses and prime lenses. Now, everyone knows what a zoom lens is. It's probably the first lens you got with your camera, at least if you have a camera with interchangeable lenses. But they call these basic lenses kit lenses because they come bundled with a camera. And that's a bit of a derogatory term. In some cases, the kit lens isn't very good, but in others, it's extremely good. And and I have the Fujifilm 18 to 55 millimeter zoom lens, which is an extraordinary lens. It's not cheap. I think the term kit lens has become derogatory just because manufacturers knew that they needed to ship something with the camera and they were focusing so much on the camera that they're like, OK, here's something that will appeal to most people and we don't have to spend a whole lot of money on it. And therefore, a lot of the kit lenses weren't very good or, you know, they were passable. 
but they didn't have really wide apertures and they didn't have all the different uh, you know lenses or maybe uh, image stabilization and so that's why when we say kit lenses we sort of say it with a, a bit of disdain and i'm glad that that's that's no longer becoming the case i think you know fuji showed that you can have a kit lens that is a good lens and it's a, a lens made of metal at least the outside the lens part is made of glass it does have image stabilization um, other kit lens, like the one that Olympus ships on its lower-end cameras, are made of plastic. Though it's a pretty good lens. I, I had one of them, the 14-42. to 42. L- Let's just set a ground rule. Let's try as much as possible as we're discussing things to talk in 35-millimeter equivalents. Because if you have a full-frame camera, the focal length of the lens is what you get. If you have a micro four-thirds, you have to multiply it by 2. If you have a Fuji or other APS-C, you have to multiply it by 1.5. So if I talk about, for instance, the 35-millimeter lens on my Fujifilm camera, that's the equivalent of a 50-millimeter on, say, a Nikon full frame. Yes, I'm going to push back a little bit because people don't need to be doing all that math in their head at the time. Because when we're talking about, hey, you're going to go buy a 35-millimeter prime, yes, we know that on a crop sensor that's going to appear more like a 50-millimeter. But I don't want to confuse people by saying, you know go get a 35 millimeter and they're like, wait, do, do I have to get a 50 millimeter? So yes, I agree with you, but I may not stick with your rule. <laughs> okay. So you mentioned a, an important word there, prime. And yes. before the show, I was talking to our producer and editor, Doug Adams, who was saying, what is a prime lens? Doug didn't know what a prime lens is. A prime lens is a fixed focal length lens, a 35 millimeter, a 50, a 90, a 200, a 400, whatever. A zoom lens goes from one focal length to another. Some zoom lenses are very wide, and they'll go from, let's say, 10 to 24 millimeters. Others are very long. They'll go from 200 to 400. So zoom lenses are convenient because with the same lens, you have multiple focal lengths, whereas a prime lens, you have to make a decision before you put that lens on your camera that you want to use that specific lens. You mentioned something about the aperture on kit lenses, and one of the big differences between prime lenses and zoom lenses is that prime lenses generally have larger apertures. The standard Fujifilm lenses are f2. There are some other brands where you can get f1.8 or f1.4, whereas the zoom lenses are 3 or 4, and also a zoom lens is rarely the same aperture when it's all the way open and all the way closed. So I think my Fuji kit lens is like 3.5 to 5.6. So 3.5 when it's at 18 and 5.6 when it's at 55 millimeters. And when you start looking at those, you'll also notice that the prices go up, up, up as the numbers go down, down, down. And the reason for that is because with the prime lenses, you're usually getting better glass. You're getting, you know, just basically a higher level of quality because when you have a lens that's like an F1.4, that lets in a lot of light and there's the engineering required to to make that happen to get the light through through those elements also gives you that that soft uh, shallow depth of field in in many cases but you're going to pay a lot more for an f1.4 than say an f1.8 and and looking at the zooms the reason why a lot of those apertures aren't as wide is because you have so many more elements that have to compensate for the different zoom levels so when you have more pieces of glass light has more surfaces to go through before it hits the sensor and that's also why you'll see some f2.8 
2.0 or f2.8 uh, really long telephoto lenses. And those are the ones that you see sports shooters at professional sporting events carrying these lenses that, you know, are as long as my arm and, you know, huge diameters at the end. And that's because there's so much glass in there in order to, to bring in more light. So those start to get, I mean, you can spend $12,000 on just one lens. You could spend $12,000 on pretty basic Leica zoom lens, too. <laughs> it, it's all about, you know, Leica lenses being handmade and all that and carefully calibrated. When you look at the price of a good lens, you realize that the camera is really like the razor and the lens is the blades. And also, most people have one camera, but they may have three or four or six or 12 lenses. So in a way, they should just give the cameras away and get people to buy more lenses. I think they've hit upon the other thing, which is they will charge you for the camera and then charge you for the lenses, and that's how they stay in business. Pretty clever, isn't it? <laughs> it's very clever. It's also the type of thing where people will buy lenses, but keep the lenses and use them for many generations of different camera bodies. That's why you'll find a lot of photographers who are heavily invested in, let's say, Canon, because not so much because they think the Canon bodies are the best, but because they've spent thousands of dollars on Canon gear, uh, which tends to be really, really good uh, gear, good lenses, and they don't want to just give all that up. That's why every once in a while you'll, you'll hear people talk about like switching systems. And it's not like I can just say, oh, I'm just going to go buy a Nikon camera, especially if you're using a lot of different lenses. It's a big deal to switch everything out. Well, this is the ecosystem lock-in that they've developed, that they tempt you by putting the lenses on sale, and you think, oh, that lens would be good to have, and then you buy it, and you really don't use it that much, and then you get another one, and then you end up, like you say, with thousands of dollars worth of lenses and a camera body that can't be changed. A friend of mine just switched from Nikon to Fujifilm a couple weeks ago. He was tired of his big Nikon DSLR, and he wanted something more compact, but he only had three lenses, I think, and he sold the whole lot on eBay and bought the new Fuji. And I did this a couple of years ago when I switched from Olympus to Fuji. I, for a while, I had one of each, an, an Olympus and a Fujifilm camera, and then I switched. And it's the cost of doing business in some ways to find what suits you. I don't think anyone should feel that they have bought a certain camera and they absolutely cannot change brands and change systems. But we talked about that last week in Buying and Selling Gear. So if you haven't heard that episode, you need to go back and check it out. I have a question for you. Did you start with a zoom lens or a prime lens? Because I think this sometimes has to do with how people move forward. Yeah. So back in the 1980s, when I started shooting in film, I only had a prime lens. I had a 50 millimeter. And I got used to the idea of shooting with a prime lens. And, and there was a, a certain way of shooting, a certain philosophy, a certain practice of taking pictures with a prime lens. It's very different from that of a zoom lens. And it's true that if I had started with a zoom lens, then maybe I would be a zoom adept. Yeah, I think I am the opposite there because I started with little compact point and shoots and then I, I uh, went to a super zoom because I wanted that reach when I went on vacation. So for me, like like zoom was was the way to go, the way to start, because it makes sense. You can stand in one place and see things that are far away. Quite often you want to see something that's far away. And so, you know, hey, yes, like I absolutely want a zoom, even if it's not 
want, you know, something super mega zoom. I want that flexibility. I remember a few years ago when I was shooting with Nikon gear, there was a review in the New York Times about this Nikon 18 to 200 millimeter lens that was fairly affordable. It was a good lens and it sort of set off this little stampede. You couldn't buy that lens for weeks and weeks and months because this was the holy grail. You have, you know, 18 millimeter at the wide end, so you can get nice wide shots, but you could also zoom pretty well with at 200 millimeter. And the, the aperture was, was decent. You know, it, it wasn't fantastic, but it was perfectly decent. And it was a good lens that you could take that one lens with you wherever you go. Okay, let's take a brief break and hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the difference between using a zoom lens and using a prime lens. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Myrowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, and gives some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still-life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Myrowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code PHOTOACTIVE. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. So before the break, Jeff, you were talking about your zoom lens that went from 18 to 200, and that is a very big difference. Most zoom lenses don't really cover that much, and you said it was a lens you can take wherever you go, but how big was it and how much did it weigh? I don't remember the exact weight, and I think part of the appeal was it wasn't a huge, huge lens. I mean, it, it was comparable to, to like my 18 to 135 that I have on my Fuji now. Um, so, you know, it, it wasn't obscene. Um, it certainly wasn't compact, especially on a DSLR. But, you know, again, if you're traveling and you just have one camera, that was a good, it was a good compromise. Yeah, so I'm not always convinced it's a good compromise. So for me, I have the 18 to 55, which is 27 to about 80 millimeters, fairly wide to short telephoto. And what bothers me about it is the weight and the size. I like taking pictures with a compact camera. I like, there's something about photography to me that the more weight, the more gear there is, the more of an impediment there is to me actually looking at things and taking pictures spending more time fiddling and particularly with a zoom lens you have to choose the zoom you have to get it and focus in a different way you have to hold it in a different way because of the weight to keep it balanced my go-to lens on my x-pro2 is a 35 millimeter so it's a 50 millimeter equivalent now if you've listened to the aspect ratio episode i'll put a link in the show notes you'll know that i can be a photographic fundamentalist for me the 3-2 aspect ratio is the ideal for photography and in many ways, I feel that way about lenses. For me, that 50 millimeter lens, there's just something that's right about that. I mean, Cartier-Bresson said that the 50 millimeter was like the only lens. You don't zoom, you zoom with your feet. You move closer, you move further back. 
It's true that having a wide angle lens for landscapes and certain things is really interesting. And having a long zoom if you're shooting wildlife is really interesting. But my photography isn't that fixed in, in one of those areas. I don't shoot wildlife except my cats and birds in the garden. And really, it's not very interesting. So I don't need a long telephoto or zoom for that. And I do have a, an 18 millimeter, so 27 millimeter equivalent wide angle lens, which is much better than I thought. But I would prefer having two or three lenses and switching them than having a zoom lens. Now, I agree with all of that. And I will append that by saying, for me, the thing that has pushed me more toward primes lately than zooms is actually a little bit more of the performance. Because when I have a zoom, quite often I will want to, you know, zoom all the way in and, and, and see, you know, what whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to focus on. But there's a performance hit there because you don't have as much light that's coming through. And so you also sometimes end up with a situation where they call it fast glass. So if you have a wider aperture, uh, more light gets in. And with some lenses, some zoom lenses I found, it impacts your autofocus too. So that doesn't go as, as quickly because you don't have as much light to work with. So what I'm getting at here is by having that zoom, yes, I could I could get the reach, I could see something far away, but I had to compensate with in a whole bunch of other different ways. You've got to change the shutter speed to adapt for the, the less light or increase the ISO. And then pretty soon, you can see where this is going, you're thinking more about all the different settings and not trying to shoot You're not doing it instinctively. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so so what's what's I think freeing about using a prime lens of a fixed focal length is you don't have to worry about all of that. You can focus more on your composition and, you know, make sure that your your shutter speed is high enough that you're not going to get blurred and make sure that you're hitting the fundamentals. But you don't have to sort of have that 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 running calculation going on in your head. Those extra steps. Yeah. When you see something, you have these extra steps to decide, well, do I want to zoom in or do I want it to be wide? In some ways, I like the constraint of just one camera, one lens when I go someplace, that I don't have to decide things. And I will take pictures of what I can take pictures of. Obviously, I'm not going to a safari um, where there's going to be lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Or I'm, I'm not in some vast landscape. You know, those things you plan ahead and you take one or more lenses specific to it. But for normal, everyday shooting, I would rather that the camera be something that I can forget. And you explained it very well. The whole, in this country, they call that faffing about, getting everything set up and organized and all that. I generally shoot an aperture priority, so I don't even need to turn the aperture wheel on my lens. I use the back dial on my camera to use what's called program shift, which shifts from one combination of shutter speed and aperture. I do use manual focus sometimes. I use the auto manual focus, so half press the shutter, you manual focus, and with the Fujifilm cameras, it zooms in when you do that. I use focus peaking, which puts lines around the contrast to get better focus, because sometimes the autofocus isn't exactly what you want. Sometimes you want to focus on something that the autofocus isn't getting too good because there's a lot there. But I like the ability often to just, I'm walking around, I see something, I pick the camera up, I snap and boom, and that's it. I, I often don't want to think about what I'm doing. And, you know, I can hear the sighs from people who all manual, have to shoot all manual, and manual shutter speed and aperture and ISO and focus and all that. No, this is 
this is a very advanced computer with a lens, and I trust it to do a lot of things. Well, and also, if you are wedded to the idea of zooming, one of the things that kept me from from jumping into primes was, you know, well, what if there is something over there that I want to get a shot of, and I can't sprint to close the distance or, you know, what have you? It makes you think, okay, well, I'm going to lose shots because I don't have a zoom. Well, the advantage these days is if you have a modern camera that has a high enough resolution, you do have a zoom in that you can crop afterwards to frame it the way you want. Even with my Fuji X-T1, it's a 16 megapixel, which sounds almost laughable by now, and which is why I'm looking at another potential camera. I was at Disneyland. My daughter got picked to, to do this thing that, that they have where you get to train to be a Jedi, like, like kids get to be Jedis, and they, they like actually do like a tiny lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. I only had my little Fuji 27-millimeter lens attached, so there there was no way I was going to get a good zoom. However, I was like close enough to get that scene and then crop in and it turned out to be a great picture. And, and you know, I, I liked it and I didn't feel like I was being restricted because, oh, I left the big lens in my bag or in my hotel room. And it's interesting, the lens that you mentioned, I also have it. It's a pancake lens. It's very, very thin. Yeah. It means that your camera is discreet. It doesn't get in people's face. It doesn't bump into people when it's on your shoulder and you're walking through a crowd. It doesn't weigh a lot. You, you can pick it up easily without having to worry about holding it steady and all that. And, and that's one of the advantages of prime lenses. Now, the, the 35 millimeter that I have, I also have the 27, but I like the 35. It's a little bit longer. It's twice as long, but it's a lot sharper. And there's something about that 50 millimeter focal length, which is you know, it's like the Goldilocks focal length. It's not too wide. It's not too telephoto. It's just right. 50 millimeter is close to what we see from our eyes. For some people, not everyone sees the same. And I've seen some interesting things, people talking about 35 being closer or 40-ish, et cetera. But it's a slight telephoto. It's not very wide. It's, it's a sort of everyday lens. And if, let's say you're on vacation someplace and you're in a city, you might want something wider if you're taking pictures of buildings. But with the 50 millimeter, you know you're not going to have too much distortion when you're shooting things. You know, wide angle distorts things a little bit. You won't zoom in too much, but you will get that perspective that you have. And one, one of the main things, I think, is you just have to get over the fear of missing out. You have a camera. If you only have one lens, you just adapt and you have one lens. And, okay, you can't get the picture of that pigeon on top of the statue a half a mile away you just get the pictures that you can. And it's a wonderful exercise to just shoot with one camera, one lens for a week, a month. In the episode with Chris Marquardt about wide-angle lenses, he explained how his discovery of wide-angle lenses was when he went to the Himalayas with one camera and one wide-angle lens. And now you'd think someplace like the Himalayas, you'd want to have more options in lenses. It's not that much of a problem if you just accept that instead of calculating, trying to figure out exactly which of your 17 lenses will be the right one. You've just got a lens and you just have to adapt. And I think that makes one more creative in trying to get photos from what you see instead of trying to take what you see and adapt it to the different lenses. And also, if you do have several lenses on location somewhere, it also means you're changing lenses. And, you know, it, sometimes that's not a big deal. Uh, other times you might be exposing the camera to dust. You might, you know, it might be rainy. Um, but 
I think more pertinent is you are stopping what you're doing, changing the lens, reframing. You're faffing. You're faffing. And we've done this. I, I've totally done this. I, I did this just a, a few weeks ago because I was shooting a sunset and there was this this great opportunity to zoom in. So I, I zoomed in and then I was I was changing the lens again and I almost missed like the best light of the evening because I was I was changing lenses. So, you know, it's it's that that distraction and it pops you out of the moment when, you know, you're there to to experience the moment and capture the best light you can, not just look at your lenses. I have a question real quick. What's the aperture on your 35? Is it a 1.8? F2. Oh, an F2. Okay. Yeah. Because I think it's also important to point out that we're talking about the high quality prime lenses. They don't always have to be expensive. I mentioned earlier that, you know, some of them can be really expensive, but there's this saying, uh, nifty 50, which basically is, you know, an inexpensive 50 millimeter lens. You can get a 50 millimeter 1.8 for a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. Well, not for Fuji, not really. Not for a Fuji, but we do acknowledge that there are other camera makers. Yes, for certain brands, or or you can get or you can get manual lenses made by Chinese companies that aren't really the same quality. Yeah, um, but you can get a fifty millimeter relatively cheaply on the Fuji. This is a few hundred dollars. It's not a cheap lens, but there is also a thirty-five millimeter f one point four, which is about twice the size, twice the weight, and twice the price. And to get one extra stop of light. Most people buy it because they like the background blur. I won't say that word. But I don't see the point, unless you've got tons of money, I don't see the point in spending more for a lens that doesn't give you that much more. If you're a pro, obviously, it's different. You're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. But if you're just an amateur enthusiast like us, you know, price carryability, you know, the, the, the compactness, the weight, these are important facts. And part of the point I wanted to make is... If you are listening to this and you have a kit lens or you have, you know, a sort of general zoom and you're thinking, oh, a prime would be great. And then you go to Amazon and you're like, whoa, $700 prime. That's not for me. There are inexpensive options. So you can get something and play with it. Start getting a feel for shooting with primes, even, you know, in like lower light situations like that alone might be worth the cost. So you don't have to deplete your savings account just to get a prime lens that might come later. And you can buy used. Oh, absolutely. Which we talked about in our episode about buying and selling gear. I've bought a couple of lenses used. I've also bought two lenses from Fuji that are refurbished. I didn't get the kit lens with my X-Pro2. But I actually bought the body on its own with a promotion which included the 18 millimeter f2 lens for free. That's a lens that's about 400 pounds. That's great. But I bought the kit lens later from Fuji. It was about half price because it was already cheaper because it was refurbished, and then they had it on sale. So take advantage of these things. Every camera manufacturer has sales at least twice a year. They'll give you a rebate. They'll give you a discount. It's usually... April or May to get people ready for summer, and then around now, say September to October for Christmas. So if you're looking for lenses and you're not in a hurry, wait until those periods and you'll save a lot of money. And, you know, going back to our central tenet, which is, you know, we want you to explore and learn. You don't have to be intimidated by that term prime lens. And, you know, online, you'll probably also run into people who are like, well, I only shoot primes, that sort of superior tone. Good for you, buddy. 
glad that you're really willing to talk about that to anybody who will listen. But <laughs> having a prime, even if it's an inexpensive, even if it's a manual focus, I highly recommend you get something so that you have that experience because it turns out, you know, you might enjoy it and then you'll buy other lenses and then deplete your 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 bank account. But having that experience will make you a better photographer because you're not always relying on the crutch of a zoom. Exactly. So it's time for our snapshots. Jeff, what's on your radar today? So we're recording this in September, and we're coming up on my favorite season, autumn. And of course, that means uh, the leaves are changing, and it's just a great time to be outside. I wish that I had more plans for this at this point, but I'll, I'll work on that. So I want to point to two little things. One, you can do a Google search and find fall foliage maps that cover you know the, the United States or particular areas. I'll link to just a, a one general one for the US, but there are resources online that will actually tell you, you know, this area, the leaves are probably going to hit their peak in mid-October or what have you. Related to that, I want to bring some attention to an app, and it's called Clear Outside. It's a weather app. It will tell you the probability by the hour of different types of clouds in the sky, so low, medium, and high clouds. This helps you understand like which clouds in the sky are going to be good for reflecting that color from the sun and at, at sunset or sunrise, and which clouds are just going to be the, the big, low, gray washed out, ruin your day kind of clouds. So it, it, it helps you plan. We don't get a lot of colors where I live, unfortunately. We get some, but we don't get a lot. So I'll probably take black and white photos. That works perfectly. <laughs> How about you, Kirk? What's your snapshot this week? I got a new lens this week. It is a prime lens, but it's a special lens. It is a Lens Baby Velvet 56. Now, we talked about these lenses a few weeks ago, and I asked if you had one, and you did, but you didn't have this kind. You had it the kind that moves and things like that. And, and I thought they were a bit gimmicky, but I saw someone on the internet who had done some flower photos and I chatted with her a bit and I said, this is really nice because I do like shooting flowers. I like shooting macro. I'll put a couple of photos in the show notes, one of a rose and one of a cat, of course. How could we not take a photo of a cat? So this is a 56 millimeter lens, which on the Fuji film camera makes it 84 millimeters. So it's a short telephoto it's an f1.6, so it's relatively fast, and it's a macro lens, so you can shoot relatively close up. I like shooting macro. I've mentioned it in the past, and I do have a Fuji 60mm macro, but what's interesting about this is these lens baby lenses, the velvet lenses, there's a 56 and an 80. As you open up the aperture, you get this kind of blurry glow around things, and it can be a gimmick if you overuse it. But if used subtly, if used in moderation, I think it can actually look quite nice. Now, why did I wait till the end of summer when there aren't many flowers to buy this lens, right? So I've only shot a little bit and it's pretty cloudy and gray now, but I really enjoy this. If I, if I stop down to like f5.6 or more, it's just a macro lens and, and the glow and the, and the fuzziness is almost not visible. It's only when you get below like f Four, that it really stands out. And you'll see this particularly on the cat photo. I don't know what f-stop it was shot at. Being a manual lens, the camera doesn't record the exif data. So I would have to remember which f-stop I shot at. I shot about 
a dozen pictures of my cat and I picked the one that looked good and I was changing f-stop to get different levels of glow. I won't use this for a lot. Uh, you, you can actually use this for landscape shooting when you want a short telephoto and, you know, stopping it down so you don't get too much glow. But I'm really interested in the idea of using this occasionally. Obviously, this isn't a one camera, one lens type lens. This is the kind you carry around with other lenses because it's not going to work for everything. It's not ridiculously expensive, well-made, quite heavy. I'm, I'm quite pleased with it. So I, I hope that in the months to come, I'll be able to share more photos. Is this a tilt-shift lens or is this... No, not at all. No, no. It's, it's just a standard short telephoto and macro lens. Okay. Because when I think of, of lens baby, I think of, of tilt-shift, but that's, that's right. not all they do. Okay. No, they, they have these velvet lenses and they, they have a handful of lenses. And this seemed interesting. Nice. So. Looking forward to some selfies. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Go to mastersof.photography or use the link in our show notes. Until next week, thanks again for listening.